You're listening to a message provided by Antioch Bible Baptist Church in Gladstone, Missouri. We intend this to be a helpful resource to you as you grow in your walk with Jesus Christ. This is intended especially for those who are unable to attend our worship gatherings and therefore were unable to hear the teaching of God's Word. This should not replace your gathering with our church as a member. If you're checking us out for the first time and are looking for a church to visit, we hope that you Have enjoy you this content and that it impacts you personally. You've been given? Thanks Anybody for listening. Have you ever been overwhelmed by something like that? Yeah. I remember between my senior year of high school and my freshman year of college, we were in Texas. We grew, I grew up in Topeka. My dad got moved to Texas my senior year of high school. And so we're in a little bit of a transition there, just one year, and then I'm out. Um, but I had the summer, and so I needed to find a job. There was a guy in our church who had a, a lawn mowing business, and uh, his name was Max. And, and Max invited me to be a part of helping out during the summer. It just happened to be the summer where for 40 days in a row, it was over 100 degrees every day that summer. But it was fine. You know, it was like, it was work. It was a job. We got it done. And so we were part of this lawn mowing company. We had this big box truck, right, that you would roll the mowers in and out of. And, and I would ride in the back. And Scott, his son, and, and a few other guys would ride in the front. We had a, about a crew of four or five. So we would typically on a day, we would do a ton of yards because we could go finish a yard in about 15 minutes, right? Two of us were mowing. A couple of guys were weed eating. And boom, we would have it knocked out in no time at all on to the next one. One day, Max, he's the guy who owns the company, said... Hey, Steve, I, I need you to come with me today. They're, the crew's going to go do their stuff, but I got something for you to do today. So we're driving, and he pulls up to this cemetery, and he gets out, and he pulls a weed eater out and a gas can and a chug of, a, 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 a thing of water. A, 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 what do you call that? I just lost the name for what do you call a, a igloo, a cooler of water, and sets it down and says, I want you to weed eat around every grave marker in this cemetery. This was like, this is not a new cemetery. It's like acres and acres of grave markers. And at that moment, I was overwhelmed by the task at hand, right? Like this is gonna take forever. And it did take, for, it took me two or three days to weed eat around every grave marker in that cemetery. So now when I drive by cemeteries, my heart doesn't get sad. My heart gets overwhelmed, right? Starts beating really fast. And I look at all the grave markers like, oh, somebody's got to do that. You know, like horrible for them. Imagine with me for a moment, Jesus' disciples are in their last hours with Jesus before the cross, and he is saying to them some pretty difficult things like the world's going to hate you because it hated me. You, you can imagine as they're listening to that, just a, an anxiety that would well up in their hearts, right? They're going to hate us? Like that, that's sort of not the picture that I had in my mind with you being the Messiah is that people would hate us. And then Jesus as we learned last week in John chapter 15, doesn't just say, hey, they're gonna hate you. He says, here's how I want you to respond to that hatred. I want you to bear witness about me. So I not only want you to understand disciples that you're gonna be hated, but I also want you to understand that you need to go tell people about the one that they hate you for, right? And so you can imagine in the moment, the disciples' heart 
was overwhelmed by not only the fact that Jesus was leaving, but by the fact that Jesus had given them this task, 11 guys, to take the fame of his name and spread it to the ends of the earth. When we think about our lives as Christians and what God has called us to do, the, the task can seem overwhelming as well. You see in Matthew chapter 28 and verse 19, Jesus says, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. That is for us, that we would be a witness, that we would go make disciples, not just in Gladstone, but to all nations. Then in Acts 1.8, Jesus says, you're gonna be my witnesses same word we find in John chapter 15. You're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So we've been given the same task, but when we start thinking about this task that we've been given to bear witness about Jesus, it can be overwhelming. Pastor Marcus shared this video that I'm going to show you with about just the need for churches within the United States of America. And when we watch this, I want you to sense it's, it's really an overwhelming task that we've been given. Watch the screens. unchurched people in the United States. We're the fourth largest unchurched country in the world. There's one church 
for every 1,000 people in the United States. In order to stay up with the growth, as you saw, we need to plant 1,900 churches every year for the next 20 years. That is an overwhelming task. But then you step back and the task gets even more overwhelming when you look at the whole world and realize that there are over 3 billion, I didn't mispronounce, there are over 3 billion people in over 7,000 people groups that are currently unreached, not unchurched, unreached by the gospel. Three billion people who have no idea what Good Friday and Easter Sunday is. That is overwhelming. So how does Jesus encourage his disciples and how is he going to encourage us with the task that he has given us to do to bear witness about him in the world that he has placed us in. Well, open your Bibles to John chapter 16 as we look today from verse 5 to verse 15. John chapter 16, verses 5 through 15. Jesus, after calling his disciples to keep sharing their faith and keep trusting in him as they're sharing their faith, he says, but now I'm going to him who sent me and none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Jesus says to his disciples, you're overwhelmed by the task. Sorrow has filled your heart because again, you are only thinking about yourself. You haven't asked me where I am going. You've gotten so caught up in the moment that I'm leaving. You've so gotten caught up in the moment with the task that I've given you to do that you are missing me that you are missing what I am calling you to do. You see, they had forgotten that in John 14, 12, a little bit earlier, Jesus has said to them, to those who believe in me, I'm going to do greater works through them. They'd forgotten that God had a plan for them and that he was going to do greater works through them. They've got overwhelmed by the task and they've gotten overwhelmed by the sorrow of Jesus leaving. So they had lost sight of him. Then in verse seven, Jesus comforts them and encourages them with this. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, we know that to be the Holy Spirit, will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. Jesus finally lays out for them the benefit of his leaving them. It is that the Holy Spirit is going to come and live in each one of their hearts. This is how God is going to do greater works. Rather than Jesus being beside them, Jesus is going to be in them 
through the Holy Spirit. So wherever they go, Jesus is with them because the Holy Spirit is with them. This is why he says, it's a benefit to you that I go away so that the Holy Spirit can come in you and in return, you can do the task that I've laid out for you, which is to bear witness about me because the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. So Jesus goes on here and encourages them with how the Holy Spirit is gonna work then, right? As they're overwhelmed by the task and they're feeling the weight of Jesus leaving and he says, listen, it's your advantage. This is all good, right? It's all gonna work out good. Here's how the Holy Spirit is gonna work in and through you as you bear witness about me. Look at verse eight. And when he, that's the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. The word convict here has the goal of convincing the person to turn from their sin. So the Holy Spirit is gonna work through you and I as believers to convict the world, to convince the world to turn from their sin. The Holy Spirit is like the prophet Nathan who came to David. You remember the story of King David. Remember, he had committed adultery with Bathsheba. So he calls Bathsheba's husband to come back and he, he tries to get Bathsheba's husband to sleep with his wife, but he's so committed to the cause, the task at hand, the war, that he doesn't go home. He sleeps on the doorstep of the uh, of, of, of uh, the outside of, of the temple area. And he, he doesn't, obey David really he doesn't go home to his wife and so David gets flustered and says when you go when you send him back I want you to put him on the front lines and if you were on the front lines in that time you were guaranteed death so David puts him and basically kills Uriah and as David is hiding his sin a guy by the name of Nathan, a prophet, comes to David and he tells David a story about injustice that was done and as David listens to the story, the Bible says anger wells up in his heart. And he's like, man, if I, was that, if I was the king, I would take care of that guy if this was a real story. And Nathan looks at David in the eye and says, you are the man. And from that, we get Psalms 51 where David says, against you and you only have I done this evil in your sight. The Holy Spirit is like Nathan the prophet. He convinces the world to turn from their sin. He looks you in the eye and he says, you are the man. You are the one that needs to turn from your sin. What, what is he calling us? What is he convincing us, convicting us to turn from? Well, that's verses 9, 10, and 11. Sin, righteousness, and judgment. So Jesus is so kind to outline this for us with a little clause there for us to know what he's talking about when he's talking about sin, righteousness, and judgment. Verse nine, concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. I want you to notice the word sin there, that it is not in the plural. He doesn't say concerning sins. He says concerning sin, one singular 
sin? What is the one singular sin that the, word, that the Holy Spirit, through our witness and the word, is going to convict the world of? Well, look at the rest of verse 9. This singular sin is the sin of unbelief concerning sin because they do not believe. Unbelief is the core of is at the core of every person who has not trusted in Jesus Christ. This idea of unbelief, that is the sin, that is the core of every sin in the world's life. They don't believe. In John chapter 9, Jesus tells us a story of this time that he heals this young man who was blind and he heals him on a Sabbath day on the day that you're supposed to rest. You're not supposed to do work. And Jesus heals this blind young man on a Sabbath day. And of course, the religious leaders of the day get all angry about it and are ticked. And they call the young man in and they're like, you're, you're lying to us. You weren't really blind and now you see. And he's like, okay, right? Like you say what you want to say, but I know I was blind and now I can see. And they call his parents in and, and it was like, was your son blind? And they're like, yeah, our son was blind. They call the son back in again. And he's like, why do you keep asking me? Do you want to believe in this one who's healed me as well? And they get ticked at him and they kick him out of the synagogue. And Jesus comes to this young man after he's been kicked out of the synagogue. And they say to him, Jesus says, hey, do you believe in the one who healed you? And he's like, well, if I knew who he was, I would believe in him. And Jesus says, well, I'm, I'm talking to you. I'm the one who healed you. And he says, I believe. And, and it goes on and Jesus says, for judgment, I came into the world so that those who are blind can see and those who can see will become blind. What is he talking about? He's talking about belief. He's talking about this idea that the blind man believed in Jesus, that he could heal him, and he believed in them. Whereas those who were religious, who were doing all the right things, they did not believe in Jesus. They were guilty of the sin of unbelief. Listen, you can blame Christianity. You can blame your upbringing. You can blame hypocrites as Christians, but at the core of you not following Jesus is unbelief. It's that you don't trust Jesus. That's the core. That's why he says concerning sin that you do not believe. One commentator put it this way, a man on dry land may in a certain sense believe in a lifeboat, but he does not trust his lifeboat until he finds himself drowning at sea. Through the witness of the Holy Spirit, through our witness, the Holy Spirit comes into the unbeliever's life and shows them they are drowning in unbelief and need a lifeboat. We find this in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting, have eternal life. It is a belief in Jesus. That is the hope for you today in this room, watching online. If you've never believed in Jesus and the, through the witness of, of people in your lives, through the preaching of the word that you are under conviction, it is concerning unbelief. 
that you have not fully put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone. Concerning sin, because they do not believe. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Verse 10, through our witness, the Holy Spirit shows the world how they don't measure up to the righteousness of Christ. That's what he's saying here. So the Holy Spirit's work is to convict the world of sin, this unbelief. It's also to convict the world of righteousness. And he says he's going back to his father. And the idea is he's completed the work that his father has done. And he's been completely righteous so he can go back before his father because he has lived a righteous, holy life. He has never sinned. Jesus, when he was speaking the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew 5 and verse 20, he says, unless you and I's righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, we can't enter the kingdom of God. This is the, that idea, unless our righteousness exceeds that. And we know when we put our life up next to people that are quote unquote good, we, we don't measure up, right? People that seem to have it all together, like religious people that we at times don't measure up. And so Jesus says, you can't enter the kingdom of God unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees. And who was the one whose righteousness exceeded that of the scribes and the Pharisees? Jesus, right? Because he comes to a rich young man who said to Jesus, basically, I have done everything right. In Luke chapter 18 and verses 18 through 30. And he tells Jesus, listen, I've kept all the commandments. I've done all these things right. And Jesus looks at this guy who's saying to Jesus, my righteousness has exceeded that of the scribes and Pharisees. I'm good to go. What do I got to do to have eternal life? And Jesus says, go sell everything you have and come follow me. And the Bible says that the man walks away sad. Why? Because his righteousness could only go to a certain point. When you start messing with my money, righteousness, uh, maybe not. Jesus was after the man's heart and he was comparing him and, and he was calling out in him that he didn't really measure up even though the guy thought he measured up. So the question for us today is how good is good enough? If, we, we hear it all the time. I'm not that bad of a person. As we begin to compare our lives to other people, well, at least that's not me, or I haven't done that, or I haven't said that, or I haven't gone there, right? And we begin to compare our lives to other people, but where, where does that end for us? Because we'll always have people that are more righteous than we are and less righteous than we are. There's only one who has come who has lived a completely righteous life. And when the Holy Spirit begins to work in the world's heart, what they're going to convict them of is that they don't measure up. Now that Jesus' physical presence is gone, the Holy Spirit will convict them of not measuring up to the standard that God has set for them. Only Jesus can do that. So how do we measure up? Well, there's good news for us today, right? 2 Corinthians chapter 5 in verse 21, for our sake, he made him, that's Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin. And listen to this last phrase, so that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. 
We refer to this as imputed righteousness, that God takes Jesus' righteousness. When we believe in him, he takes Jesus' righteousness and he puts it on our account. So when we live our lives and when we witness through the word as the Holy Spirit is convicting, what he's convicting is you don't measure up, but there has been one who has measured up. And his name is Jesus. And if you believe in him, then all his righteousness will be put on your account. So concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, you will see me no longer. Verse 11, concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. The spirit convicts the world of judgment. So he convicts the world of sin, unbelief, righteousness, that they don't measure up to the righteousness of Christ, and sin, or judgment, I'm sorry, because the ruler of this world is judged. Jesus was referring to his judgment of Satan that was affected by his death on the cross. Satan is the prince of this world, and he is defeated by the prince of peace, right? And so Jesus is saying they're going to be convicted of judgment because they are part of this world. That's Ephesians 1, chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, where we are sons and daughters of disobedience. We are born into sin, and so we're born under judgment, just like Satan and his workers are under judgment, right? And what the cross does for us is the cross shows us that God has judged them, and one day God will finally judge them when he returns and he casts them into a lake of fire forever and ever. But if we have not believed in God, we are under this judgment. Here's how John puts it in John chapter 3 in verse 18. Whoever believes in him, Jesus, is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the Son of God. So if you have never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, if you have never believed in Jesus, you are condemned. Judgment is coming for you. And this is what the Holy Spirit will convict you of. But how do we avoid this judgment? Look at verse 17, right before John 3, 18. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. So how do we avoid the judgment? Believe in Jesus. Let his righteousness be imputed to you. Let it be put on your account so that you will not experience the judgment of God. The, Holy, the work of the Holy Spirit is to convict the world. When the lost world is truly under conviction, they will see folly they will see the folly and the evil of their unbelief. They will confess that they do not measure up to the righteousness of Christ and they will realize that he is, they are under the condemnation that belongs to this world and to the devil. And the only person that can rescue them from this horrible situation is Jesus. There can be no conversion without conviction 
There can be no conviction apart from the spirit of God using the word of God and the witness of the child of God. That's what Warren Wiersbe says. I love that. There can be no conversion without conviction. There can be no conviction apart from the spirit of God and the word of God and the witness of the child of God. I would ask you today, are you a child of God? If you feel in your heart this conviction, this convincing that the Holy Spirit is doing right now through the witness and the word, then I would invite you to not stiff arm the Spirit's work in your heart right now, but to believe in Jesus. To understand that your sin is a sin of unbelief and believe in Jesus and realize you will never measure up. But Jesus did on your behalf and don't, and today you can be rescued from the judgment that is to come through the person of Jesus Christ. And I would invite you right where you are to say yes to Jesus, to respond to the conviction. It is the grace of God. Sometimes we see the conviction of the Holy Spirit as this thing, I, I gotta get it out of my life. So we go to alcohol, we go to drugs, we go to sex, we, we go to television, we go to food, right? We go to all these kind of things to, to dole the Holy Spirit when he's convicting the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. And I would encourage you, don't dole yourself to that. But hear the word of the Lord today and respond and believe in Jesus. So the Holy Spirit convicts the world, convinces the world that they need to turn to Jesus. Look at verses 12 and 13. The Holy Spirit also works by guiding the believer to the word. I still have many things to say to you, Jesus says, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, the Holy Spirit, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. Here, Jesus is speaking of the inspiration of scripture in this particular context. He is telling the disciples that he's going to send the spirit and the spirit is going to lead them into truth and he's going to lead them to write the New Testament. We know this from 2 Peter chapter 1 and verses 21. For no prophecy was ever produced, prophecy, this is the idea of scripture, was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So in the context, he's talking to them about how some of them are going to be inspired to write the word of God. I think it's a little clue that John must have caught in this moment. Because if you look at the end of verse 13, he says, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. Who wrote the book of Revelation? John did. What was the book of Revelation about? The things that are to come. And so I wonder, is it as John is writing this gospel and he's remembering the Holy Spirit is carrying him along and he's remembering the words of Jesus and he writes this things to come and then he eventually writes the book of Revelation. I just wonder if John was making the connection here of what 
God was doing in and through his life. So to them, it is the inspiration of scripture, but scripture has been closed. The canon has been closed. There's no more special revelation that is going to happen. Everything that God wants us to know about him is found right here in his word, these 66 books of the Bible. So there's no special revelation anymore. So how is the Holy Spirit going to guide the Christian? Well, the Holy Spirit's gonna guide the Christian to the word of God. The spirit and the word are united in their guiding, right? So God is always, the Holy Spirit, the work of the Holy Spirit is always going to guide the Christian to the word. Last March, me and my family took a trip up to the Grand Canyon or over or however you would say you get to the Grand Canyon. I never say those words right, but we went to the Grand Canyon and we had talked to some friends who had been to the Grand Canyon before. And they had uh, given us some advice and they said, hey, I know this maybe sounds cheesy, but there's this ministry called the Grand Canyon Ministries. And we would encourage you to take one of their tours. And listen, you're gonna go look at it and you're gonna be shocked by how expensive it is, but it is well worth your money because they just take you along the rim of the Grand Canyon and they are explaining to you how a flood would have caused this to happen and they're pointing out things that just normally we wouldn't notice, right? Like if we're just walking around, we're not gonna notice those things. And so we cut some expenses in some other areas and said, we're gonna go for this Grand Canyon Ministries and the tour. And so we meet this guy about halfway through the day. So we go at first and we're looking and you're overwhelmed by the massiveness and the beauty of it. But we, we don't really know, know the Grand Canyon, right? But about noon, we meet this guy and he takes us on a tour and he puts us in to his van that he has and he drives us back to Flagstaff, Arizona and he takes us on a tour of downtown. Just kidding, he didn't do that, right? I was seeing if you were listening. Why didn't he do that? Because we had paid for him to give us a tour of the Grand Canyon, not a tour of the Flagstaff, Arizona, right? His job was to lead us, was to guide us along the rim of the Grand Canyon so that we could see and really know the Grand Canyon. The Holy Spirit's job is to lead and guide us to the word of God. It is ridiculous as you thought it would be ridiculous for that tour guide to lead us to Flagstaff when we paid for him to take us to, to Grand Canyon and give us a tour. So it is ridiculous that we would think that the word, that the Holy Spirit is gonna lead us away from the word of God. The Holy Spirit is gonna lead us and guide us to the word. The Holy Spirit is never going to guide you to do something contrary to the word of God. The Holy Spirit is not going to guide you to divorce your wife because you don't have feelings for them anymore. The Holy Spirit is not going to guide you to have sex outside of marriage because it feels good. The Holy Spirit is not going to guide you to cheat on your test so that you can get that scholarship. The Holy Spirit is never going to guide us to do things contrary to the word of God. So if you are struggling with sin in your life, 
The first thing you need to do is open your Bible and ask yourself, what does the Bible say? And if you see what the Bible says, that's where the Holy Spirit is guiding you to. They're not guiding you to your feelings. They're not guiding you to the culture. That, that's a whole nother thing that's going on in your heart. That's not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is always going to guide you to the spirit of truth, which is the word of God. And I say that with love. He will glorify me, verse 14, for he will take what is mine and he will declare it to you. All that the father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. The last work of the Holy Spirit is to glorify Jesus. J.I. Packer puts it this way, the work of the Spirit is a floodlight ministry quietly turning everyone's attention away from himself to the Savior. The Holy Spirit is always deflecting the attention to Jesus. When he says the Holy Spirit will glorify me, what he's saying is the Holy Spirit is always deflecting the attention from himself to Jesus. He is the silent partner in the group of the Trinity. And he is always saying, look to Jesus, look to Jesus. Have you ever tried to get work done when your phone is blowing up with notifications? Isn't that so annoying, right? Like that's why in work they teach us to turn on do not disturb. Because if my phone is sitting there and I'm trying to prepare a message and it keeps lighting up, right? It's just like, you know, I can't help. It just draws me in. When we sit around as a family and our kids have their phone, it drives me crazy because their phone is constantly going, you know, it's just this constant notification. And you can just see it in their eyes when I'm like, don't touch that phone. They're like, ah, right? Like, I got to touch the phone. It's, it's buzzing me. <laughs> well, here's how the Holy Spirit works. He's, he's the constant buzzing that's saying to us, turn your attention to the word, turn your attention to Jesus, Right? constantly buzzing in our pocket, on our wrist saying, look to Jesus, look to the word. The work of the Holy Spirit is to convict the world, guide the Christian to the word and glorify Jesus. The disciples were overwhelmed church by the task that it set before them. And Jesus comes in this moment and he says to them, listen, fellas, I, I understand but it's your advantage that I go away. It's to your advantage that I, I don't stay here because this Holy Spirit's gonna come and as you witness and you share the word, I'm gonna convict, I'm gonna guide, and I'm gonna glorify. And we know, this is what I love about these men. They're scared and their hearts are filled with sorrow and they go through this dark moment with Jesus, the cross and the resurrection. But what God does as the Holy Spirit comes upon them is he takes them and he takes these 11 guys and the book of Acts says he turns the world upside down with them. Why? Because they were witnessing with the word and the Holy Spirit was using them to advance the fame of Jesus' name. We sit in this room today because of what the Holy Spirit did through 11 men that Jesus poured his life into and said, it's to your advantage that I go away. So imagine 
what Jesus could do in our lives through the Holy Spirit. Imagine how Jesus could use us as a church family who say, you know what? We're not going to ignore the Holy Spirit anymore, but we're going to be a witness and we're going to share the word and we're going to watch the Holy Spirit convict. We're going to watch the Holy Spirit guide. We're going to watch the Holy Spirit turn our attention to Jesus over and over again. And what could God do through our church family if we surrendered to that kind of work that the Holy Spirit could do in and through us. So as I was thinking about how to end this message today, I just thought, okay, we saw how the Holy Spirit worked, works. So the good question for us would be, how does the Holy Spirit work in our church? Like if we've seen that the Holy Spirit convicts, the Holy Spirit guides, the Holy Spirit, uh, the Holy Spirit glorifies. How is we? How are we going to see the Holy Spirit work in our church? Here's a few ways that I just thought through these each for each point. How do we know if the Holy Spirit is at work at Antioch? Convict. This is how we'll know He's at work when we are sharing Jesus through the Word to the world. When we're sharing Jesus through the word to the world, it is not our responsibility to convict. That's the Holy Spirit's responsibility. Jesus told us to bear witness. So how do we know the Holy Spirit is working? When we are sharing Jesus through the word to the world. So here's the question. When is the last time you shared Jesus through the word to the world? Who is the last person that you talked to about Jesus? If we want to know if the Holy Spirit, and this is convicting, all right? I had to write this message, so this is really convicting. If we want to know that the Holy Spirit is working in our church, we're going to be talking about times that we have shared Jesus through the word with the world. Second word is guide. This is the idea here. We are submitting our lives to the word. That as we spend time in the word, we're submitting ourselves. What does it mean? We're putting ourselves under the leadership of the word of God. So when is the last time you were reading the Bible and the Holy Spirit guided you to truth of the word and you submitted yourself to that truth. That you said, today my life is going to look different because I read, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave me. And so because I want to submit myself to the word, it changed how I lived my day. The Holy Spirit, if we're reading the word, he's guiding us to truth. And the question is, are we gonna submit our lives to the word? I think this is the danger of coming to church week after week, year after year, and hearing the word taught, but not being a doer of the word, is you become hard-hearted to the word. So you feel good about, we feel good about ourselves because we heard the word taught, but we're not really submitting ourselves to the word. That's why when things happen in the church, like how in the world could that happen? Maybe they weren't submitting themselves to the word for a really long time. 
And they were just going through the motions. So when's the last time you read the Bible and you said, I I need to submit my life to the word. Here's my desire for you as a church, that you would never submit yourselves to my word. You would always submit yourselves to God's word. My prayer is that you will forget my words because my words are not eternal, but that you would remember the word of God. And when you leave this place Sunday after Sunday, week after week, that you would not remember what I said, but you would remember what the word said and you would submit yourself to that word. That would be my heart. And then last is to glorify. The idea is this, that we are shining the spotlight on Jesus. How do we know if the spirit is at work? We're shining the spotlight on Jesus. It ain't about us. It's not about Steve. It's not about Bob, Todd, Marcus. It's not about your Antioch group, kids ministry. All of that, we, all of us are simply reflecting, deflecting the praise and the honor and the glory to Jesus. And so if the Holy Spirit's at work in this church, it ain't like, man, Steve's doing a great job. It's Jesus is moving and working. He's getting the credit that he deserves. The same thing is true in your life. That when you go to work, that you should work in such a way that the spirit is working through you, that you're shining the spotlight on Jesus. Why does that person not go along with the culture? Why does that person not cheat? Why does that person not fudge their numbers? Why does that person do that? Because of Jesus. And it points you people to Jesus. It's not that you're a goody two-shoe, right? It is that you're pointing to Jesus and saying, because Jesus has changed my heart, this is why I don't do that. And you can point the spotlight on to him. Let me pray for us. Father, I'm thankful for the Holy Spirit. And when we study, it just, this is a difficult sermon to preach and it's a difficult sermon to take in. I've had the privilege of working on it for a few weeks now. I know for those listening, they're just hearing and there's a lot of things to process. And so I pray that Holy Spirit, through the witness of my message today and through the word that you have convicted that you have guided and that you ultimately have glorified Jesus. And I pray for the person in this room that has felt the conviction of the Holy Spirit for their salvation, that they are living in unbelief. My prayer is today that they would believe. May they not resist the nudge, the call, the, the conviction, the convincing of the Holy Spirit in their life, but may they respond to that. For those of us that have responded, maybe the Holy Spirit has been guiding us to the word and and we have not been submitting ourselves to the word. I pray today that we would confess that to you. And ultimately, Lord, it is our desire that everything we do in our church's life would point to you because that's how we know the Holy Spirit's working is that Jesus, you are getting all the credit. You are getting all the glory. May that be true. 
of our church family. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together and we're gonna sing a song as a means to respond to this because the Holy Spirit works in our lives to glorify Jesus, right? So we wanna sing a song about praise the Father, praise the Son, praise the Holy Spirit, three in one, and may it lead us to make much of Jesus today. Thank you for listening. You're always welcome at Antioch. If you desire more information, please go to AntiochBBC.org. That's AntiochBBC.org. God's best to you.